Hey there, and welcome to Truth Be Told, a theology and apologetics podcast not claiming to have all of the answers, but created to analytically look at the truth contained in the Bible and encourage critical thinking on how to apply that truth to our lives. I'm Micah Gunn, and I appreciate you listening in. No matter your level of understanding or knowledge, I sincerely hope and pray that you find these words edifying, informative, and beneficial. So let's get started. One of my least favorite things in the world is hearing Bible verses used out of context. And I'm sure that I do it too, but when I do it, probably like when everyone else does it as well, I'm unaware that I'm doing it, so it doesn't really bother me initially. Though sometimes I do find out later that I have done it, and then I get frustrated with myself. So all that to just say, I'm not trying to point fingers in this episode, but I uh, think it's a universal problem that a lot of people have, and most of the time it's just done out of ignorance. But what it means... Uh, to me, when a verse is used out of context, it means that someone else has put a verse in a wrong context that I liked and thought fit so well, and I thought it fit well enough with God's word that I didn't even check it for myself. And to me, this is laziness. And laziness, especially when it concerns God, God's word, is really something I can't let continue in myself. So I hope you guys have the same sentiment uh, towards that. And today we will be going over a Bible verse that is so often used out of context or taken out of context by Christians. And like I said, I'm not trying to point fingers or yell at why it's wrong and then leave making everyone feel horribly. Uh, Not that I really have the power to make you feel that bad in the first place, but that's not my goal for today. Uh, What we're going to do is I'll kind of go through a brief outline of what we'll do. First, we're going to read through the verse, and hopefully I'll highlight some cool things about it to make it more memorable. Because when we do this verse-by-verse study through uh, certain sections of Scripture, I think it's easier for us to remember them, or at least to have those things that we learn um, kind of boot into our minds as soon as we read them the next time. So that's really good as well. After that, we're going to go to the portion that's often used out of context. It's towards the end of the section that I'll be going over and then explain why it's used out of context. Uh, What's the reason we kind of perpetuate this use of this verse out of context? And then I'll give the correct context and explain why using it in that context is, is better. Uh, So hopefully we end on a positive high note and not just a, this is what you've been doing wrong, fix it. So for the first section, we're just going to read through the verse. And the the section that this is in is Psalm 46. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, um, that's all good. Psalm 46, I've kind of broken this into sections and we'll go over it in sections. Um, So in Psalm 46, starting just in verse 1, It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be moved and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah. So that's the first part. And the thing that I want to go over here just briefly is that uh, the first line here, God is our refuge and our strength. A lot of psalms start out with an issue or a crisis or a plea to God, kind of this crying out, this general crying out from the psalmist. But this one starts where a lot of psalms end with God's provision for his people. And I think that's very singular. I'm not not saying it doesn't happen throughout any of the psalms, but it's not uh, the typical pattern. So this one starts with a kind of a glorification of something that God is and has done for his people. And what it says is he's a very present help. Uh, 
And this is so different from the pagan religions at the time when this psalm was written, where their gods had to be appeased to even look in the direction of humanity. Their gods, in some cases, weren't even paying attention to human affairs. And often this is how we can feel with God too. And what this psalm says directly contradicts even us when we feel like that. God, just because he's out of sight, is not distant or gone. If you're baptized, you have the Holy Spirit, then God is literally living inside of you, so he's not gone. And if not, then that same spirit is still working with you. And it's God taking you by the hand, guiding you along good paths if you allow him to. But the point is, he's right there. He doesn't miss opportunity to help you when you need it. It's not like he almost made it, but was just a little bit late. He's always on time, uh, at least in his own time, which sometimes can feel not on time, but it is perfect timing. Um, and that, that's just really cool to me. He's a very present help, and it's, it's not a distant God that we serve. Um, and then this idea of him being a refuge. Normally, you have to flee to a shelter, and I know we're kind of maybe removed from the wars of ancient times, but even like if it starts to rain, normally there's like this mad dash towards shelter, and you have to flee to it. But the cool thing about God is that he's a refuge that's always there with you wherever you are. So that really sets him apart from uh, every other type of refuge or shelter that you could ever find. Now I'm going to skip over some of the other parts there, um, especially dealing with even though the earth be moved, though the mountains be carried. We'll go over that in the next section, but I just want to read the next section first to kind of um, show you what the psalmist is doing here. So in verse 4 it says, There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. So first, even I didn't even write this in my notes, but God shall help her just at the break of dawn. It's like, that even speaks to his timing where it's like, oh man, I really wish you would have helped me in the night. But it's like, God is not late. He has perfect timing. So that even speaks to that as well. But in this section, the first thing I want to go over is this first first part here. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And I think there's three aspects to this that we can think in terms of. The first one is the psalmist is likely thinking of Jerusalem, which was a fortified city. It wasn't a city of refuge, um, although it was close to one at, at Hebron, but it was a fortified city and it could withstand a siege. And it actually did in the time of Hezekiah. Uh, and you can read about that in Second uh, Chronicles, I believe. Yeah, Second Chronicles 32 and Second Kings 25 and about how Sennacherib came against Jerusalem, but it didn't actually work. And that's pretty cool. But uh, the cool thing about this is that, so it says there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. So multiple streams are branching off of this river. And in Jerusalem, you only really have small water sources. You don't have huge rivers right at Jerusalem providing water. And water was incredibly important to arid climate places like this. It was life-giving. And similarly, God is also life-giving. He provides life. Now, I kind of imagine, going back to King Hezekiah, him thinking of this song, because uh, what happened is Jerusalem was sieged and uh, by this, this guy, Sennacherib, and Hezekiah was kind of having to live in Jerusalem with all these people crowded in the city, and they couldn't leave. If they left, the army would attack, so they had to just kind of withstand uh, throughout time. But they didn't have a good water source. And so what he did was have people dig underneath the city 
and underneath the wall of the city and bring water in from underneath. And it actually worked and it was really cool. But I can imagine Hezekiah listening to this psalm. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God as uh, they kind of break barriers on this wall and the water comes through. I can imagine how happy they would have been as they realize they can continue to live a little bit longer because they have access to water now. And that's really cool to me. Uh, just knowing like other ancient Bible people respecting and listening to this ancient Bible psalm and seeing it apply physically to their lives. We can obviously see it more spiritually and how it applies to us, but it's cool to think of the physical connections they could have made back then. Uh, Then you can also think about uh, us as people. We're described as being the temple of God when we have God's spirit living inside us. And this section is describing the city of God dealing with the place where God dwells. And Christ said, out of whoever believes in him will flow rivers of living water. So there could be a connection here to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as well. And then closely connected to this is the third aspect to think about, and that is the New Jerusalem described in Revelation 3 and Revelation 21. It says a river flows beneath the throne of God. Um, And the the main point is that he lives and is present there with his his people, speaking again of him being near and not a distant God, not unconcerned with us but instead very concerned with us and very involved in our lives, so much so that he he dwells with us in the city of God and we dwell with him. And then moving on, it says, God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. And I think this is where I want to draw in aspects of the previous section that we didn't go over quite as much or we kind of skipped over a part because I think there's some really cool parallelism between that section and this one. So in the previous section, it said, though the earth is moved, though the mountains are hurled into the sea, though the waters of the world roar and are troubled, though the mountains shake, we will not fear. And now this section we're in elevates that last section from a hypothetical and then saying we won't fear if this happens to now saying it's going to happen. It just uses different words to say that it's going to happen. So here it says the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. So let's let's just take that one by one. The nations raged. This connects to the sea in the previous section. The sea is often used to describe multitudes of people. And it said, though they should roar and are troubled, though the seas roar and are troubled. But here it says, the nations raged and they did rage. So that thing that uh, might happen and we still won't fear, it's going to happen and we won't fear. Then the last section goes on to talk about mountains being hurled into the sea or mountains shaking and us not fearing. Here it says, the kingdoms were moved. The kingdoms were moved and mountains are often used as metaphor for governments and our kingdoms. And here it says they are moved. And then before it said, though the earth is moved and here it's not just moved, it's even melted at his command. So these things that were hypothetical in the first one, and it said, if these things happen, we will not fear. It's saying in the second part, they're going to happen. But through all of this, because God is in the midst of the city, Jerusalem, or you as the temple of God, or the new Jerusalem coming uh, prophesied in Revelation 3 and 21, she will not be moved. That city will remain firm and resolute. And that's even more reiterated in the next section that says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Just reiterating why it will not be moved. 
Then this next section, starting in verse 8, says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in fire. And this is really, really cool. It screams of victory for God. And what's cool about this to me that I think it's missed is that this is an open invitation to everyone. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Everyone can see what has just happened. So the first section kind of, or or what we've covered up until this point, kind of covers uh, talking to God's people, saying in the midst of all this turmoil, God is right there with you. He is um, an ever-present help to you. He's a refuge to you. And now, once the threat is taken care of, now he's talking to those that uh, kind of were against him and those that are with him and for him. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Open invitation to everyone to see what God has done and then exalt him. And what's, what's neat about this too is that we had the ability to be joyful in the time of difficulty when the earth was shaking and everything was kind of in chaos. Um, because God was with us. We had ability to be joyful because God was with us through all of that. But how much more cause for joy is there now when everyone will see the end to that turmoil as he has made desolations in the earth in order to cause wars to cease and conflicts to end. So this is why this is cool for me, this section specifically, because to me it seems like a shift in perspective. Like the war is over, the battle is done, and everyone's just left looking at the glory of God. Both those who tried to attack him and now see that that's pointless, and both those that were for him and were praying to him but maybe still afraid at the same time. They're all just looking at the incredible power of God. And this open invitation to exalt him uh, carries on into this next section that actually begins uh, the contextual difficulty that people seem to have. Uh, So it says here in this next section, in starting in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. That part, that one part of that verse is probably quoted just more than the rest of this psalm put together, but it's often not even finished. It's just part of one verse. And often, if you want to take a verse in context, at least take the verse before and after, if not the whole chapter, if not the whole book. I mean, there's so much context in every layer, but if you're going to take one verse Don't just take part of that verse. So that's the part we take. Be still and know that I am God. But it continues, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This is God speaking. This is the first time we have God kind of entering the picture here. Uh, We've talked about him throughout the psalm or the psalmist has spoken about him. But now this is a word from God himself. And it's like complete scene change. Uh, Like I said, the war is over. Everyone's just left looking at the majesty and the might of God. And then he speaks and he says this, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And commentaries agree across the board. This is not a call for God's people to stop trying or to live this peace-filled life with no conflict whatsoever. And that's so often what it can end up being used for. I've seen this uh, meme go around quite often on Facebook and Instagram lately. Uh, it, it covers this verse here, or at least this part of the verse, be still and know that I am God. And it underlines be still, it underlines and know, and then it underlines I am God. and has lines coming down from them with boxes that have different words for them. 
And so under B still it says stop talking, switch off your phone, stop commenting, listen, stop arguing, stop questioning, stop moaning. And then where it says and no, it says stop doubting, be sure, have faith, no second opinion. And then it says I am God. God is almighty, God is in control, he is love, he is king. God is my hope, rock, and fortress. God is ever-present, a help in times of trouble. God is my father. God is my shepherd. He will lead me, nourish me, protect me, and restore me. So that's the meme that I've seen going around. And it's not that there's anything wrong with any of those things. God is all of those things. We should be aware of all of those things. If we're complaining, we should stop complaining. That's all true. But this is not what this verse is talking about. This verse isn't even a direct pronouncement to God's people at all. God is instead telling the nations to be still and to recognize his authority. Be still meaning, yes, to stop arguing, but also to stop opposing him. Stop the conflict with us, his people. Stop raging. Stop exalting yourself. Surrender to him and realize that he has authority. It's this threatening and merciful speech that God gives here where he says surrender is the only option and that's a threat, but he invites them to exalt him among the nations throughout the earth. And it's so, so cool used in context. Every single commentary agrees with this, but we never read it this way. We never use it in the right context. We always use this in the context of ourselves and how we feel. And if you want to do this, you want to take this verse in the context of yourself and how it might apply to you, you have to realize that it's God speaking directly to those who oppose him. So you can only use it in as much as you have opposed God, which we've all fallen short, we've all sinned, we've all been directly against God, even if we haven't wanted to be. Uh, but if we look at who God is talking to, it's to the nations who have opposed him. So if we want to apply it, we, ha we can only do it in as much as we ourselves have opposed him. So then the question remains, why do we take this out of context? And if we do, why is it a big deal that we're taking it out of context? And I want to cover this part first. Why is it even a big deal that we would use it out of context? I've already admitted myself that we can fit into the correct context of it, so that's okay. And I've already also admitted that there's truth even in the elements that we're drawing out of it. Uh, even if that's not the true context itself, we are still drawing right principles out of it that are found elsewhere in the Bible. So then why is this a big deal? And I would hope we're not actually asking ourselves this. I hope none of my listeners are sitting there thinking, ah, so what, Micah, that's not a big deal. I would hope that as we study the Bible and understand it more clearly and more accurately, we are looking to apply it more clearly and more accurately to our lives rather than just taking things and uh, I'll use this for this part of my life and this for that part of my life, even when they don't really apply at all. I'm hoping that's not a question that I have to answer, but I'm just going to do it because I think it could naturally get brought up. Essentially what we do when we take a verse out of context is that we strip the meaning of the verse and then we give it a different meaning, sometimes wrong, sometimes partially right, but it's different. And then that original meaning is lost. How many of us have listened to this verse so many times and gotten the wrong context out of it because we've taken it out of context so often? Because, you know, it's... it's Almost like that proverb that says there's a way that seems right to a man. But I want to reject every possible thing within me that could say, ah, this sounds good. This seems right. There doesn't seem to be anything wrong with this, so I'll just perpetuate that. I want to know what the original intended meaning was from God. Because I know that God's word is perfect. I know that what God wants me to know is good for my life. 
and I know that I have the ability to mess things up. So while it's natural to uh, look throughout the Bible and look at it through the lens of our own lives, and that's totally okay because the Bible should apply directly to our lives, it's not okay to reject meaning that God intended in favor of meanings that we desire to be in there. Now, in the case of this, uh, this verse here in Psalm 46, verse 10, I think the reason that we continue perpetuating this is simple. It's been put into a context that sounds nice, a context that sounds biblical and good and fits within other contexts of the Bible. And I would say, you're right. There are other parts of the Bible that do have the meaning that we're drawing out of this scripture. But if that's the case, then why don't we go to those scriptures instead of using this one out of context? Matthew 6, for example, verse 25 says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Then he goes on to talk about the birds of the air and how God feeds them and of how much more value we are than just birds. Or which of us by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? We can't really do anything by worrying. So God asks us to stop worrying. Then in Philippians 4, verse 19, it says, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So every single thing that you could possibly need or want, God has the power and the ability to give to you. So you should rely on him. Philippians 2, verse 14 says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So do you want a verse that says, stop grumbling, stop complaining, be still in a sense? It's in there. It's all in the Bible. You want a verse that says, stop worrying about your life? It's in there. You can find it. You want a verse that talks about the power of God to do things in your life and to work in your life? It's in there. You can find it. But we don't need to remove the meaning of one verse to mean all of these things because then we lose that meaning. Yes, sometimes you might have to go to a couple of verses to find the precepts that you're looking for or the hope or the encouragement that you want to find in certain individual circumstances in your life in order to not take one verse out of context. But again, this goes back to laziness. We don't want to be lazy when using God's word and studying God's word. We want to take it all line upon line, precept on precept, and actually glean truth out of the Bible rather than finding out or trying to find out what the world calls my truth. There is not my truth and your truth. There is just truth. And we can find it in the Bible if we put in the work, read what it actually says, and stop stripping the Bible of its meaning by taking verse after verse out of context. I'm going to finish up by reading the last verse in Psalm 46, and that is verse 11. It says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. I sincerely hope that we can continue to pray that God is with us, guiding us throughout our studies in his word, that we can glean correct understanding and uh, absolute truth from the Bible as he wants it delivered to us, rather than applying our own meanings and stripping the scripture of the meaning that he intended I'll be praying this for myself because I am often the worst offender of this very thing. So I hope this was a benefit to you. I hope I didn't come across too harsh. Like I said earlier, I'm not trying to point fingers, but more just point out something that we all tend to do. And hopefully uh, we can correct this in our lives uh, little by little, verse by verse, 
and uh, have a richer and fuller understanding of what God wants for us from his word. Thank you all very much once again for listening through all of this and uh, doing this study with me. I really do appreciate it. This ended up being a little bit longer than I thought it was going to, so I appreciate your patience. Hopefully it was a benefit to you and you found it worth your time. Until next time, as always, continue to read your Bibles, continue to think critically about them, and continue to apply the truths you learn from that Bible to your lives. Have a great day, everybody.